Welcome, Morks, to Conspiracies and Beyond. This is episode six, and we don't have a conspiracy. We just have a wacky story. I'm here again with Seamus. Jedi's on a little vacation. She'll be back in a couple weeks. And we have a really fun story tonight that Seamus actually brought to my attention a couple years ago. And don't you think this is something that no one knows, but everyone should know? It's one of those stories where I like telling it because people think I'm lying. I like that it's not like a famous story because it's so unbelievable. It's like you would think that if this really did happen, it would almost be in like textbooks. Right. So we know 9-11 is the biggest tragedy of our time. And this would have probably topped 9-11 by a thousand times. Millions of people could have died. Yeah. I mean, 9-11 was the biggest tragedy that we'd known that that was building. It killed 3000 people. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about Arkansas. Arkansas and and many states around Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about planet changing. Right. So I say we just hop right into it. All right, let's do it. The conspiracies and beyond. So this was 1980, and one of the key things, if you think there was going to be an accident during the week, what day do you think it would be? Oh, that's there's there's only one day I think any cop would agree that you can count on just everything going bad. And that's Friday. It's got to be Friday headed into the night. Right. I I even heard stories like the best day to get your taxes done or your your best day to do that kind of stuff is a Friday night. Because even the people doing your taxes just will do anything to get you out the door Uh to get to the weekend. Yeah. Friday's, Friday's fun day. Right. So it was September 18th, 1980. Jeff Plum headed to work. He worked at a nuclear missile silo in Damascus, Arkansas. Uh, What do you do for work? Uh, I work in a nuclear missile silo. Right, exactly. And a lot of these guys were 17, 18, 19 years old. They they were controlling probably the the, the most destructive thing in the universe, basically. Right, right, right. And they were like smoking pot and hanging out with friends the same age who were like at McDonald's. They were with they were with their buddy, you know, Kyle, who just got off work at the uh, paint store, and they just worked on a nuclear warhead. So, Jeff Plum's partner was his name was David Powell, and he was a certified technician, and he could work on the missile. So this silo was 146 feet deep, and you would pretty much think of a 14 foot skyscraper inverted underground. That's right. We're talking about it's like an inverted building, basically. We've got it's a really like a 146 foot bunker. Yeah. Yes. This the point is this this was an older missile, so they were really proud of this when they built it in like 1930 something or 40 something. Actually, the most advanced technology. 
Do you have the, the date it was? Well, the Titan 1 was around that, and this was the Titan 2 that started in 1960. 62. 1960, yeah. And the technology was was quickly outdated, you know. So this this one ran off of a different fuel system. Like, there was a lot of unique things about this warhead. I'm not sure if they're still in, in operation today. Right. The Titan 2 is 62 to 87. So, yeah, this was 18 years into this. And I do find it funny that they have aging facilities because you shouldn't think that would be such a thing with nuclear missiles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you hope that maintenance, there's just things that you just take for granted, right? Like, oh, yeah, no, they're going to take care of a nuclear warheads, obviously, because if one of them goes off, we all die. You know, you just you yeah. assume they're on top of it. But this, that's the thing I love about this story is it just, it hits so close to home just how easily. Serious shit can hit the fan when you are housing uh, planet-destroying nuclear weapons in your country. Right. So, so this picture here we're looking at, we'll post this on social media. You have over to the right the missile silo where the missile's located. Then you go over to the middle. It looks like it's like a three-pronged attack here. You have the missile control center in the middle, and then all the way over the left, that's the launch center that's where everyone's working and that that's basically the little dome there that's where everything happens and have you ever heard what it takes to set off a nuclear weapon i mean you want to assume it's not easy to do right so here we go there are two people working there and they're on ships so two people working then they get off two more people come in they get off so it's just rotating two people so Who do you think in order this to go off? Do you think there's a bunch of people or? <laughs> I'm pretty sure at the end of the day, the guy holding the football is the president. Right. So only the president can that's order just, this. It's, to... a, it's just a, a piece of reality you don't want to say out loud. That is like, oh, boy, we've escaped some near misses just from that perspective. I mean, there must have been a couple of drunk nights when, you know, yeah. you know so there, what I should just do. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a long time. And, I think we got to just set off one of these missiles so that the libtards know. <laughs> so these two operators have a 35-letter code. They get together, and they compare the codes. If they match, they go to a red safe. Inside the safe, they have to get through two code locks. Each operator has his own code. Then once the safe is open, the operators yeah. were confronted. They were confronted with a number of envelopes with two letters on each. On the 35-letter code, another seven-digit subcode was embedded. First two-letter of a subcode indicated which envelope to open. Inside, all, is, it all, is it all caps? Is I know, caps? really. Inside the envelope was a plastic cookie with five letters on it. If the letters matched the final five of the subcode, then the launch could be initiated. To launch, the operators would need to operate a key on a console. The keyholes were so far apart that one person couldn't reach over and do both. Then they had to turn both within two seconds of each other and hold for five seconds. Then the silo doors would open and the rocket would take off. There's not I mean, like it, a secret it, it, word or they don't have like a secret knock or anything like that? No, but it is kind of, you like to know that it takes that much to, you can't yeah, just push a button. I, it, it, well, they want to give you every, are you sure opportunity to really think this through? because there's. There's no going back. You know, like when you say the wrong thing at a party and you're like, oh, shit, I can't put that back. 
it's that, but times a warhead. Right. You, you launch a warhead. It's it's just it's a different way of life from that one because you're going to get a counterattack from whoever you just fired at, and then that's going to set off a whole slew of counter offensives. And it only takes a few of these things to go off, and the radiation alone is devastating. Now, the the Titan II missile was as powerful as all the bombs on World War II, including the the nuclear bombs times three. I had to look that up so many times because I didn't think that could possibly be right, but it is. Yeah, this is this is a payload. They're not messing around. They want to make sure that they want to send a message that we're not just going to kill you. We might end the human race. Like this is like this is overkill on steroids. There's no need of. Well, I mean, we can we can sidetrack and derail and go off about you know what a horrible idea this was in the first place and how this was actually discovered by farmers by accident. But anyway, yeah, this, this is the serious stuff. Yeah. So the, the rocket was 103 feet tall and it was basically a bomb sitting on top of a bomb. It had the bottom half was rocket fuel and the top half was oxidizer. And if they ever meet, it's going to cause a huge explosion. And then on top of that, you throw the warhead. Just sit it right there on top of all the explosive stuff. Right. So, yeah, if anything happens, even a little spark between the Mm -hmm. oxidizer and the rocket fuel could set up like a huge explosion. I would, at a minimum, put like a no smoking sign on the wall. (laughs) You know, let's, let's, you know, hey, hey, Louie, I know you're being a little fast and loose. I know it's Friday, (laughs) but uh, this is, this is a warhead. Put away the SIGs. And I'm always amazed that they have 17, 18-year-old guys working on something like this. I, I delivered to this place, and, and I said, what do you guys do? They said, oh, we create seals for planes. And you just see, like, a bunch of kids working in there. I'm like, shouldn't that be someone more qualified? <laughs> shouldn't this be a hallowed profession that only right. the finest and most qualified human beings could even embark on? No, no, it's Kyle. It's Kyle. Yeah. It was it was between this and Burger King, and this this is actually closer to his house. <laughs> so one of the things about this rocket is they use liquid fuel instead of solid fuel, just because it was created in the '60s and they started with liquid fuel and they never changed over to solid. They wanted to make it a groovy rocket, right? So let's go into what happened with David Powell and Jeff Plum. Mm. We, we know this story well. How many times have you listened to this? Uh, I mean, I've only listened to it a, a couple of times. You know, I, I mean, I, I can pretty much retain the, the basis of the story from the, I mean, it's just so gripping, but I love telling it. So basically they had to do a task that was, they, it was done daily. They had to remove a dust cap. So they got all suited up. There was a delay because there was something wrong with the hydraulic system. So just picture a painter scaffolding or window washers, something that goes up and down that, that was broken. So they had to wait a couple hours. It's Friday night. They want to drink. They want to have beers. So they finally finished the hydraulic lift and they got all suited up. And basically what would you call that gear? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, almost like a race car. has like hazmat. Well, like a hazmat suit meets like race car driver. It's like a really like an insulated top to bottom 
supposed to be, you know, seal every every kind of chemical out kind of thing. Yeah, it's basically a hazmat suit, but you know, for that. Right. So they wait two hours for the hydraulic lift to be fixed, and they start walking down the 250-foot hallway, and they're halfway there, and they said, oh, we don't have the torque wrench to take the dust cap off. Right. And yeah. the the veteran there, David Powell, said, well, I have something else we can use. And they have- Yeah, don't worry about those torque wrenches. Here, come here, kid. I'm one right. of the old timers. I know how shit works around here. You want to turn something? I got a wrench for you. Yeah, and this is something I would totally do too, because they said you have to follow the procedures, but mm-hmm. they're young, they're young kids, so they had this thing. They said it was three feet long. So the best way I can describe this wrench, they call it a, a ratchet, would be a golf putter. It was that long, and then at the end of the golf putter would be something like a steel softball or something. Yeah, so it's it's like a putter that weighs about forty pounds. Yeah, it, it's really heavy. So. <laughs> They, one of them, and it also was broken. So one of them held the, what would you call it? The, like the, the stick part of it. Um, <laughs> I, can't. I, think, I think that, that pretty much speaks for itself. And, and the it's other held the wrench. Yeah. And the other one held the, the socket part. Yeah, exactly. The shaft. So what happened was they got it off. No problem. But because of the aging of the facility, the scaffolding should be pushed up right against the rocket, but just because it was so old and stuff, it was a little gap, a socket-sized gap. So he just, hand could just picture it. Right. He handed over the socket and he said, Do you got this? Do you got this? And David Powell said, Yes. And he went to grab it and all of a sudden it just fell and it bounced absolutely perfectly, went between the what gap. What do you think they said as they were dropping that? They were like, dude, use it, dude. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think they said to each other? Oh my god! Imagine that moment. <laughs> you, you said you, and then and then what happens? So the wrench it manages to find its way. So the journey of the wrench is really what that's that's a big part of the story for me. Like, because you could drop wrenches all day long. You could rain wrenches in that place. It's not right. a big deal. It's fucking wrenches. Who gives a shit? It's just a it's a piece of steel. It falls. It hits the ground. Whatever. It's not going to penetrate a rocket. It's fine. But what happens? It manages to find its way down this little tiny space, like you mentioned, in between one solid area and another. Pick up enough speed while it's sliding through this small space and then pop out perfectly with that same speed, only doing it horizontally instead of vertically. So it doesn't break its fall. It actually picks up speed as it goes down this curvature at the bottom. It's like a hook leading right into the side of the rocket, and the wrench penetrates the rocket. Right. It said it hit off the thrust ring that holds the missile in place, and it ricocheted perfectly, and they just saw fuel like starting to pour out. So It's amazing. They- like I said, you could, you could drop wrenches all day long. It's not going to affect anything. This thing went for a ride in the most perfect way and picked up speed and redirected itself into the side of the rocket. Right. And Jeff Plum said, everyone there has dropped tools. They said, if anyone said that they didn't drop tools, they were lying. It just was something that would happen. Yeah. And again, it's amazing that these things were so old, these facilities that, I mean, they couldn't plan for something like this to happen, but I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they were dropping a lot of wrenches, though. You know, maybe we're saying this is a one in a million time. Maybe they were just fucking assholes all the time. You think? I think they were like, 
having like wrench fights after work. And <laughs> like, oh, he's throwing wrenches again. Todd's being a wrench douche. Throw your wrenches. Well, they said some of the guys would dip balls in oxidizer, uh, ping pong balls. Oh, the they, old oxidized ball trick. Yeah, and they would throw it into water buckets and they would explode. Uh-huh. They used to think that was kind of fun. So that's the kind of people uh, that will work in there. Yeah, that's goofball stuff on a Friday. So that's do you think – ready to go out. Yeah, do you think Powell and Plum told everyone what was happening or do you think they kind of played stupid? I mean, if it were me, it, it's kind of like – we could really just go into the fetal position at this point, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, whether everyone knows or no one knows, maybe just, I think the best safest route is just to cry, just start crying and curl up in a ball and cry under a desk and just wait. That's what I would do. So basically all the alarms and klaxons started going off and they said it was absolute chaos. And Powell and Plum just said, oh, there's smoke in the launch duct, but they played stupid. And it kept going on and on. It was two hours long, and no one knew that rocket fuel was shooting out. And they finally confronted David Powell, and he started crying. Yeah, that's a a heavy burden. Like, what if David Powell is responsible for ending the world because he was in a rush to go to the Sizzler? That's what... yeah, that that's what beer does to you. Yeah, exactly. You wanted that lean and kugel so bad. <laughs> you, you wanted to put your flip flops on and go have a, a lean and kugel with Todd. That you were like, "Fuck this Titan too. I'll get me another Titan. I'll get a Titan three. We don't need this. I'm throwing punches <laughs> at it and I'm going out and getting hammered. Just disrespect of the rocket." Right. So let's let's pull up the sketch of the rocket. This is one of the most interesting things. So as rocket fuel was pouring out of the bottom. So if you look at that bottom tank, Seamus, once that thing kind of gets empty, it might just all collapse upon each other. And then the oxidizer and the rocket fuel are going to touch each other and it's going to be a huge explosion. And then the wild card is the warhead. Yeah, so the one thing that you you can't know unless you test it is to actually blow this thing up and see if the warhead, that small little the, the payload, the actual uh, weapon, goes off because it can. It's designed to withstand a pretty good beating, but it's it's also designed to go off upon impact. So, will the blast create the impact necessary for detonation? You don't know. You don't know. You, you just the only thing you can know for sure is that if you're in that facility, you're fucked. If you don't get out of there, that facility at the very least, just on the fuel and the bomb that that thing is without the warhead, is going to be level. But the one of the things is, can we bring back up the complex picture? One of the biggest fights about this was they didn't know whether they were waiting for orders, whether they wanted to stay underground or above. You would think it'd be a no brainer. They'd want to be above. But a lot of the people that work there said that they thought they were safer underneath, believe it or not. They they thought it was designed to withstand a nuclear ambush from the Russians. And they think they had 740 ton doors between the command center and the missile. I mean, we're probably in the same boat thinking, why wouldn't you want to be above? But they know more than we do. And they, they think for some necessarily, though, I think that would be a I think I could sell that idea. I mean, look at there's nothing above ground for you to keep you safe. You're not going to get far enough away from a fucking warhead. We designed this 
new fangled you know thing underground it's got the state of the art everything it's got reinforced walls why not take your chances in here i could see people doing that i don't think that's unreasonable to, to assume you'd be all right or right. to then yeah. at least maybe have a chance i mean you're talking about a warhead you know like how far do you think you could run you would have to be on like a four-hour flight just to get out of the just to get out of the blast of that thing so you're screwed you may as well just be screwed there right one of the guys ended up the guy in charge ended up telling him to leave and a couple of the people were really disappointed they wanted to stay inside so he made the decision but <laughs> we know that they started sending people back inside what were they what did they go back inside for you know, I think it was one of these kind of, you know, people went back inside the buildings at 9-11. I think that there's this sort of feeling when nothing happens after a while that, you know, maybe, you know, fuck it, nothing's going to happen. <clears throat> you know, and even in the midst of all of that chaos, there's this like feeling of second guessing it. Like, yeah, it's probably fine. They probably went in there to, you know, tell whoever was still in there to get out or thinking maybe they had time to, to get a few loose ends or tie up some loose ends or, or, or I don't know. I don't know, but. Yeah, I watched, uh, there's a movie on this called Disaster at Silo 7, and I was trying to understand that part, why they sent them back in. To, I think they sent them back there to check some gauges. They sent two guys in, and they came back out. They sent two more guys in. One of them was David Livingston, who was David Powell's roommate and best friend. And I guess once they were under there, one of the commanders saw that the fuel tanks were 18,000 parts per million, and that's when it's about to blow. So they said, you need to get out of that building right now. So they got out of the silo. They said it wasn't even 30 seconds, and the explosion happened. Do you know how big the concrete and all the slabs there that were falling above ground? The big, biggest fuck, Todd. I mean, these, these are warhead slabs. Tell me. They said every, everything that fell was the size of coffee tables, but the big ones were school buses and trucks. And they were just falling all around. It was complete chaos. People were yelling and screaming i mean it, there, there's some cause for panic but there's the thing is some cause for yeah. panic i mean can you imagine do you think no. there were people fucking do you think anybody was just like hey, <laughs> hey you i seen you looking at me we're gonna die get in the bathroom oh you, you're bringing back howard stern memories he used to always say that when a <laughs> flight was going down what are these people doing when a flight's going down are they just like <laughs> fucking and stuff <laughs> You think there's a definitely there's a horny guy that's thinking about that. that that's it. It's just guys with that last thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna bust a nut one more time, and then and then I'm gonna disintegrate. So this was three in the morning. They said trees were on fire. Everything was lit up like it was daytime, and they had to find out. What do you think? The nuclear warhead did it go off? Well, I mean, I know the story. Um, yeah, I know. I, you know, you, you don't think it's going to go off, but you don't know. Uh, I think they, they the, the folks that designed it, from what I'd heard, is that there was a pretty low chance that it could go off. But there was a chance it could go off. And if, if that's the case, it doesn't matter how far you get from the facility. Yeah, they said there was so many safety precautions that it could not possibly go off. But I don't believe that. You have this warhead flying through the air. They ended up finding it 100, 500 feet away. You're trying to tell me that couldn't have gone off? Of course that could have gone off. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's had a drunk uncle at a, at a 4th of July party knows that when you've got explosive material. And, and, and one point is that fuel that was leaking out, that fuel by itself with nothing else but impact of 
falling is combustible. That, that fuel is highly combustible. That fuel itself, just splashing into it, is enough to set off the rocket. So, you know. And it, it busted, yeah, it busted through a 1.5 million pound, basically, door. <laughs> and then, yeah, they said if the warhead went off, so this was in Arkansas, it would have killed people in Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, it was five or six states, Kentucky. Yeah, wow. That's, that, that's bad. That would have got so, Bill Murray. Yeah, right. <laughs> We wouldn't have had Bill. We wouldn't have had the Clintons. We wouldn't have had. What, let's let's go through the whole well, list of things that we would have missed out on. Uh, well, uh, Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Yeah, I mean Kentucky basketball. Churchill Downs. <laughs> right there, you go. Uh, the Ozarks. There's nothing in Arkansas. There's nothing really to miss about Arkansas. I think. I think if you had to sacrifice one state, that might be one. It'd be on the list of states to say, all right, fine, you can have Arkansas. Uh, have you ever been to Indiana? There's not much there either. Yeah, I mean, Indiana, it's, you know, it's pretty wide open, right? It, it, that's probably why it was there. They were like, you know what? No one's really using this state. Yeah, if we just you know- blew it up, you know, <laughs> it's fine. It, if we blow it up, we'll still only probably kill eight people that live in this whole state. We'll just put all the facilities <laughs> in cornfields. It is funny that we live in such, I would say, a busy state. I went to mm-hmm. I went to Kentucky before, and I was right on the Indiana border, and I saw there was a casino. It was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I go to the casino. It's like a, I get a front row spot. You, you go to the mall, you get a front row spot. There's like no one there. I mean... Where we live, you go anywhere, you're right. parking like nine miles away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most stressful thing about going anywhere is where to put the car because you're in a just a cesspool of humanity and vehicles and shouting. And yeah, I mean, I would rather do anything than go in town for anything, for any reason at all. I don't even want to see the World Series in town. I'll go because it's the World Series, but I'm not that thrilled about it. The city stresses me out. I mentioned this a few weeks ago on the show, talking about going into Boston. We went for my sister's 50th birthday party, and we, we, got a, we got a car. We paid a guy like $300 between six of us. We're like, let's just throw in 50, 60 bucks each, and we don't have to think about parking. Like That's how much of an issue it is that we had no problem whatsoever. It was a no-brainer. We're like, yeah, he's going to yeah. drop us off right in the north end. We're going to go out to eat, go get some dessert at my pastry, whatever, and these guys going to pick us up, and it was the best decision we ever made. Traffic and parking is a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it's it really it governs the whole night. You, you, you ever hear somebody's story about like when a night went really well, and they'll tell you like how they lucked out with the parking spot will be like the first thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, we were driving around, and then this guy moved, and I got right in there, and it was like, you know, it was only six streets away. We only had to walk for like fifteen minutes to get to the place, and it was only raining a little bit. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's 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 not for me. I mean, I had all those years, you know, running all over the city, thinking something really important was going to happen that I needed to wait in line for. You know, there's, there's none of that. I'm just yeah, a crotchety man here in Sturbridge. Yeah, speaking of rain, this this rain we've had like every day for weeks. It's it's it takes its toll on you emotionally when you're getting on like double digit days of not seeing the sun. <laughs> Like the Alaska effect starts to set in and you're going like, I haven't even felt sunshine in you know, 12, 13 days. Right. So we're going into the third week of July and 
tomorrow will be the first day we're in our pool. It's unreal. We're going to have about five or six weeks of swimming weather this year. Oh, so, yeah. We didn't mention there was one fatality in this, which was David Livingston. So David Powell indirectly killed his best friend and roommate by dropping this wrench. Oh, so he was like, oh, I left my sweatshirt. Would you go back and get it? What did he do? Oh, well, we mentioned that. Yeah, he was one of the ones that went back in to yeah. check the one of the gauges. So David Powell basically indirectly killed him. He dropped a wrench and then just so happened his roommate was one of the poor souls that they sent back in. I, I, I wouldn't have went back in. <laughs> Imagine that imagine that that call being like, yeah, I mean the rocket might go off, but look at I need to know what the pressure's like in there. Like, I know. And you check the gauges just to see, you know, what the situation is beyond the fact that a rocket is bleeding fuel carrying a warhead. I, right. I think it's time to maybe patten down the hatches when anytime your warhead is leaking, you, you probably need to just do whatever I'm, you think is is prudent. I mean, and these this was 40 years ago, and, and these were 17, 18-year-old guys. What could they have been making, 5 $6 an hour? It couldn't have been much. I mean, it's certainly not worth dropping wrenches into warheads, but uh, I, I have to think it paid at least better than Wendy's. But it might not have. I don't know. I really don't know. And that's, that says a lot about how uh, we took a lot for granted, right? I bet these. I bet they don't hire high school students to perform maintenance work on nuclear warheads in 2021. I bet. Exactly. Now, what do you think they did to combat the dropping of the tools? There was one thing that they introduced after this happened. Do you know what it is? Oh, they, without a doubt, they, they're they're going to make sure that the tools are strapped to the worker, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have some sort of utility belt or something that... The lanyard, basically. The lanyards? What are those? Oh, a lanyard is kind of one... Just basically something that goes around your neck and it holds. I'm sure it can also go around your belt or something. So they have a wrench around their neck? They, they, have, it, they have their tools around their neck? Well, a, lany a lanyard is kind of like uh, like a little ribbon thing that goes around your neck that holds like your work ID. That's basically what a lanyard is. Yeah. If they the, were at the club and like you wearing the wrench around your neck and be like, yeah, that's where I work. <laughs> you know it. I work on the Titan too. Represent. Um, like I said, I mean, it's, it's just the, the story itself is it's simple enough in nature. I mean, it, they dropped a wrench and, uh, and and it penetrates a rocket that almost ends the world. But I mean, there's so many imagining the vibe. <laughs> I mean, just imagine what the general vibe was in that facility. I mean, that's a movie in and of itself. That's just stressful, though. I know how many times you've done something stupid and was like, oh, my God, if I could take that back. This is times a thousand. <laughs> This is this is beyond just, you know, spilling the rice at Thanksgiving. This is this is bad. Yeah, so I think that was pretty interesting. And hopefully we made up for the last show. We had some technical difficulties and we're gonna be missing Jedi for a couple of weeks, so Seamus is gonna fill in. We have a couple of cool ones coming up. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to getting getting really knee deep in some of the some of the kooky stuff. I mean this was fun talking about the story, but I wanna I wanna hear somebody defend flat Earth. I wanna I wanna get into <laughs> it with with somebody that really believes something they read on Reddit. <laughs> it's just it's 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 and we talked about it before the show. I really think with a lot of these conspiracies, 
the root of the conspiracy is the narcissism and the egocentric personalities of the folks that perpetuate the conspiracy. They want to believe that there is something about them and what they know that you don't know, but it's a reality that they are familiar with that is the real thing. And you're the one that you're like a sheep. And, you know, we're the ones that know, and you're, you know, it's us up here, you're down here, we're going to tell you what's really up. All the things that you read in textbooks are fairy tales, and let me just show you the real thing. But yeah, no, uh, I, I think it was fun. It's, I, I like the story. I don't know if we've done it justice. I, I just found out that we're doing the story about like an hour ago, so I didn't really have a lot of time to to regurge, but uh, yeah, no, so it's a it's a fun topic. I think if you're sitting around the dinner table and you run out of things to talk about, you just say, "Hey, can I tell you about the time the world almost ended by a drop wrench in Arkansas because someone dropped a wrench?" You'll be the life of the dinner party. It's not weird, not random. People will enjoy that story. Yeah, so I think that about does it. Check us out on social media to Conspiracies and Beyond. Send us an email to conspiraciesandbeyond at gmail.com. And check us out on Clovercrest Media. We There's over 40 other podcasts besides to Conspiracies and Beyond. All right, see you, Morks. Thank you.